riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and the rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you've stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you They cry out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man who does not resist you. So this morning's passage is not the first time that James has something to say about wealth and riches. Sometimes I feel like James has really similar subject matter, but he comes at things maybe slightly different from different angles. So we see some very common themes in the book of James. And this is one of them. This is not the first time that he talks to the rich. Way back in chapter 2, if you remember, this would have been a couple months ago, James addressed the church the believers within the church, and he scolded them for the way they were treating the poor. Except now, so we have James chapter 5, so James is now coming back to the subject matter of riches, except this time he's writing to the believers in the church, but he's using those outside the church as an example. He's saying this is what not to do as it relates to money. Don't do as the believers do. And we know this because we just read that in verse 1, James says of the coming judgment, misery, that awaits the so-called ungodly rich people. James speaks to this judgment. So he's not saying there's a judgment upon the believers. He's saying the judgment will come upon the unbelievers outside the church. So again, James says, let them be your example. Don't do as they do. And so he has a couple, he has a couple goals in mind with this passage this morning. He wants to warn the believers to be faithful and to trust in the Lord with your money. That's James's first goal. And the second goal, again, he's writing to believers and says, don't misuse your money like they do. So it's a really a recorrection, a correction of their hearts. The believers would have seen unbelievers and seen how they handled their money and how they treated their people or other people. And James is simply saying, Trust in the Lord for the riches, but also don't do as they do. So this morning, it's a warning for us as well. I would say, arguably, one of the most common traps for us in this life, and even within the church walls, is to assume that money will solve all of our problems. It is a trap that I've fallen into. Well, if I just have a little more, maybe a little more, maybe my life will be smoother, comfortable, and easier. And that might be true in some sense. But money does not solve problems. I read an old quote this week that I liked. I want to read it to you guys. Um, So the saying goes that it's better to be poor and happy than rich and miserable. And a wise man once said, couldn't something just be worked out where I'm kind of moderately wealthy but just a little moody? Right? And I sometimes find myself going, 
I think money would just solve a whole lot of problems in my life. There would be problems that would be solved by money, but there would be other problems that would no doubt be created. And so, the first point I want to get at this morning out of James's passage is this. The trap of just a little more can lead to misery and death. James tells us the trap of just a little more can lead to misery and death. Now, the world says, just a little bit more money is all I need. And again, all of my problems, all of my issues will go away. And we know the human heart, the sinful human heart, is never satisfied. And the Bible doesn't say, right? So the Bible doesn't say that money is evil, right, in itself, right? It's so what money represents in the heart of God's people. So the love of money, right, is the root of all kinds of evil, what the Bible says. So money is absolutely not evil. It's an incredible tool that the Lord can use for kingdom purposes. Can we all, can we say that? Can we agree to that? I know money is a taboo subject, and that can be a hard one sometimes, but um, we're going to hit on that a little bit here today. So, you know, should we have so-called riches, you know, in this life and on this earth? Those riches can be used for amazing kingdom purposes, right? So, missionaries, Bible Bibles distributed, churches built, you know, ministries started, the hungry fed, sick can be healed through the use of resources, the use of money. So, money itself is not evil. But James is saying money, when it's used improperly, can be evil. You know, money, when it's combined with an ugly heart, a selfish heart, a self-consumed heart, it's destructive and will lead to spiritual death. And that's what James is saying to the church. Not at all, he's not at all saying money is evil. In uh, the book of Mark, in chapter 10, Jesus encounters the rich young man, one of his many parables. Again, as we've spoken, Jesus has more to say about money than any other subject matter in the Gospels. Our ears should perk up. And so the rich man, the rich young man says, I've done all these good things and right things, Jesus. I've obeyed the Ten Commandments. I've observed the Sabbath. I've said all the right things in the right time and the right way. And Jesus really says, well, you know, that's, that's great and all. Okay, good. Appreciate that. But why don't you go sell all that you own and give those proceeds to the poor? Then you can follow me. Then you'll be worthy of following me. And the Bible says that, Jesus says, upon hearing this instruction, the man was sad and his face was downcast, as the scripture says. That tells me there was a disconnect right here. That young rich man, he had no intention of selling all that he had. Should Jesus ask him to sell all he had, give his proceeds to the poor, he had no intention of giving up the comforts of this life in order to follow Jesus. It was going to cost him too much. He said, no thanks. And the rich young man failed the test. You know, wealth had become a stumbling block. He was not willing to give up everything, even if it cost him his wealth. And while we don't know the end of the rich man's story, you know, Jesus used this as a warning to the church to say, this is what can happen when the love of money can go unchecked, when we say just a little more, when our hearts yearn for just a little more riches. It can lead to spiritual death, judgment, and eternal separation from Jesus. And Jesus himself, he says, 
What does it benefit for a person to gain the whole world but to lose his soul in the process? I believe that's the same question we have to ask ourselves every day. What does it gain? Should I gain all this but to lose my soul in the process? And James is addressing, of course, the first century church. But really, I believe it's as truthful and as applicable today as it was 2,000 years ago. And in the first century, there were three main characteristics or indicators of wealth. Um, I was thinking about Bill Gates a little bit this week and Steve Jobs, and you, know, you could really pass those guys on the street and you know with a hat or something on it. I would probably wouldn't notice. You know, they're wearing T-shirts and jeans and flannels and you know things like that. Pretty, um, you wouldn't necessarily know if they're wealthy. But there was a cultural expectation in the first century that you would have looked wealthy. That was that was part of the expectation. So if you had so-called wealth, you would have looked the part. And again, there's three, there was three main indicators of wealth that James is addressing. And James says your riches are found in three areas. Your grain, that's how people defined riches in the first century. Your garments, and then it was in their gold and their silver. So grain could be stored in large silos and bins, right? Just like today um, in Luke 12. Uh, Jesus tells the parable of another foolish man. This is the foolish rich man who says, I've got all these extra crops. I've got all this extra grain. I've got all this excess. What do I do with it? Instead of giving it away, what's he do? He tears down his old barns and he builds new ones for his excess. I'm not sure what was up with his old barns. Maybe they were in perfect condition. I don't know. But that is just another story, an example of a heart issue. And this man says, well, I'm just going to simply sit, eat, drink, and be merry. His old barns are probably fine, but I'm going to tear them down so I can store all this excess grain. And Jesus, in return, he says, if you're not going to be generous towards God, you're going to face, face destruction and ruin. And the grain went bad. And so you don't get to take any of it with you, essentially, is what is going on at the end of that story. And in terms of garments, um, in the first century, if you had more than one change of clothing, you were pretty rich. Most people, all they had was what was on their back. And so uh, you were a rich person if you had more than one tunic. We've come a long ways, haven't we? Yeah. And so another reminder that we may not store up on earth what moths and rust may destroy. Do not store up your treasures on earth where thieves can break in and steal, is what Jesus says. Um, one of my first jobs as a young man was mowing lawns. Kind of a classic one, isn't it? You couldn't go too long mowing a lawn. Or maybe you could. But I won't even tell you what my hourly wage was. Somehow my mom negotiated my hourly wage. I'm not even sure why. And so um, she must have said, well, this is my, what my son is worth. But anyway, so uh, prior to high school, prior to either ninth or tenth grade, going into ninth or tenth grade, I wanted these new basketball shoes, and these were pretty expensive shoes, even by today's standards. And so I mowed lawns all summer to to get a hold of these shoes that Bo Jackson wore. You remember Bo Jackson? Um, and I had to have these shoes. All I could think about was these shoes and these shoes and, and you know, hours of mowing and mowing and mowing, you know, for all for these shoes. And in my mind, I thought, this is the last thing I'll ever want. This is it. I mean, this is like, man, if I just had these shoes, 
life would just be perfect. I'll never ask for anything ever again. Last shoes I'll ever need, God, I promise. Well, I love those shoes so much. They were so seemingly nice. I wouldn't wear them. I didn't wear them. They sat in the box up in the closet. I couldn't even enjoy these shoes. I still kind of do stuff like that. Well, I'm just going to save them. Anyway, um, and eventually, a couple of years later, these shoes became my lawn mowing shoes. So what a reminder that even those things that we hold on to with, you know, in this, the most treasured possessions, right? They're, they're going to be subject to corruption. They're going to turn to dust where moth and rust may destroy. Again, some most precious of items, whether it's our grain or our garments. But James also says, even our silver and gold is subject to corruption. The most precious of items, the ones that we think can make us happy forever, we don't get to take those with us. Those are fading away. You know, again, the, the point really being that we take nothing with, with us, right? Again, even those things that go from one generation to the next, eventually we will not take with us. I love that classic phrase. It's a great image in, in my mind is you never see a U-Haul attached to a hearse. You don't get to take it with you. That's a great mental image. I think about that one. I've done probably 20 memorials, and I think about that one every time. And so here's James talking to the church and saying, when God brings his coming judgment, even the most precious items, those things that, that can't be destroyed by moth or rust or dust or gold or silver, they will still face death. There is nothing of eternal value on this earth that we will take with us. In verse 3, if you want to look back there again, James uses some of what I would say some some sobering language, like he like he does, and he says this. He says, "It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure." And we are in the last days. We are living the last days. And the last days is a phrase that um, you know some of our uh, writers will use, or biblical writers will use, and he'll over the time from when Jesus ascended back to heaven, and prior to his second coming. So we are living in the last days. I don't know what that means for you or what kind of image that conjures up, but I think about a, a countdown clock. The countdown is on. One day Jesus will return. and will take his church with him. Everything eventually made new. New heaven, new earth, new creation. But the countdown is on. And those last days are upon us. And James is really telling the church, here is a warning not to spend your last days doing what the ungodly do. We're not sure if Jesus will return tomorrow or next week or months or years from now. I believe it's sooner than later. The sign is I read and look and listen. I believe Jesus will return sooner than later. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how will I spend my last days? The last days. Because this might be it. What do we want to be found doing when Jesus returns? Do we want to be found as faithful stewards of God's blessings? Or do we want to be hiding under the covers, clutching 
our silver and our gold? Well, I think we know the answer to that. And the second point I want to get at this morning is this. James says this. He says, God is watching how you use your resources. God is watching how we use our resources. And the whole second half of our passage this morning is, is James painting this contrast or using this contrast. And he says, don't handle your money as the world does. We cannot claim to know Jesus and simply emulate the world, what the world does with their riches or their money and their wealth. We can't use it to mistreat our brothers and our sisters. We can't misuse our money. Because guess who's watching? God is watching. And James lists four ungodly uses of wealth. In verse 2 and 3, James says, do not hoard. And secondly, he says, do not withhold money that you owe someone else. In verse 5, he says, do not live in excess while ignoring the needs of others. And then finally, in verse 6, James says, do not step on the innocent on your way to just a little more money. So he, he lists again these four ungodly, worldly uses of wealth. And he creates this, what I would call kind of this slippery slope a little bit, where he goes from bad to even worse. So those sins that think unthinkable, those things that seem like, oh, I would never do that. Maybe just a little a little decision over here, and maybe nobody's watching, nobody's looking. And James paints this picture. It goes, it begins with hoarding. And you're withholding a little more. And you're living with a little more excess. And all of a sudden, you take advantage of someone. Where the unthinkable is now thinkable. Now, sometimes I like to remind my kids that, that Jesus is watching. Don't forget, kids. Not only Dad is watching, but, but really Jesus is watching. I'm not trying to scare them, maybe a little bit. I'm not trying to scare them, but just a reminder of Jesus is watching how we handle our affairs. Nothing is getting past Him. He's not fooled by anything that we do or say or think or any hidden agendas in our hearts. And then James says this, Your sins haven't gone unnoticed. The cry of those that you've mistreated your ungodly business affairs, whether you hoarded or whether you take advantage of somebody or stepped on somebody else to get more, that has reached God's ears. He sees what's happening. He knows your heart. He knows your greed. Who are you trying to fool? And the bottom line is, we're not fooling God, right? We know that. We might be trying to fool our brothers and sisters or maybe ourselves, but we're not fooling the Lord. One day, each of us will stand before the Lord, give an account of what we've done, right? What we had, right? And how we treated others with what we have. And I'm not going to dive into all four of those sins. We don't have time to do that, but I want to hit on just a couple. A couple that I think are, are more relevant here this morning. So, um, James says, do not hoard. Um, I think that's a common practice, right? To go, this, kind of feel like I'm going to do this with my money. 
right? I certainly know that one. I have to, I have to admit I know that one. I've got five kids and a wife to provide for. Sometimes I want to do this with my money. And so, you know, James, here he's seeing human nature, and he says, there's so much, there are people with so much wealth, a.k.a. grain, in this, in this circumstance, that it was rotting in storage. They had excess grain. And so instead of giving it away and being generous with what they had, they were hoarding. And the downside is, the bad news, it went to waste. They didn't get to use the grain to bless others, to give it away generously. Clearly not God's design, right? Not God's intention for any excess we might have. We to give it away. Give it to those that may not have. I know this tension. I feel this tension, right? We're to provide for our families and we're to pay our bills, so to speak. And, and so I can understand that. But we're also to be stewards with our money and our possessions, you know? It's not God's desire that we hold back what really is intended to be given away to others. Matthew 25, you know, Jesus tells of another parable of a man who held on to what God gave him. And uh, one of the, one of the uh, well, the parable is the parable of, of a buried gold. That's one of the names this parable goes by. So the master gave um, one servant some gold, and this servant buried the gold, literally. He didn't use it for himself, didn't invest it, didn't give a portion of it away. He dug a hole in the ground, and like a mother hen, he sat on his gold. And this is what we do. This is really a, a great reminder for what we do when we have resources. God gives us something. We hold on to it too often. We don't give it away necessarily. And we wait for the worms to destroy all that they can. And so it's a warning. And James says, this greed that you've gotten yourself into, this holding back, this holding on, this tight grip you've got on your resources is the total antithesis of trusting God. It's a position of fear, not of faith. And the third point I want to get at this morning is this, is that greed can be a blinding sin. Greed can be a blinding sin. This is not an absolute, I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers here, but greed is often the American way. And you remember the old bumper sticker, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Remember that when you see that one before? What a lie that is. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. That's, that's not a God's desire. And James, in verse 5, he says, You've lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of pleasure. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. Again, James is talking again to the church, saying don't live as unbelievers, right? But he's also talking to unbelievers as well. Those that live in luxurious on earth and led a life of pleasure, and they just said, we're just going to eat, drink, and be merry. That's still a temptation, even even us, inside the church walls, Christians, followers of Jesus, have to be wary of. Because greed can lead us down a path that, in which we believe we're doing okay. Uh, we're secure. Our needs are met. We've got everything that we want. And 
happiness is sometimes just one more purchase away. One more pair of shoes, and I'll be happy. That's the last thing I'll ever need. And here's the tension for us, right? And again, so when all of our needs are met and our bills are paid, sometimes it can decrease our perceived need for Jesus. Classic human tension, isn't it? So for those that have their eyes set on a little more, sometimes the inclination is saying, I've got all I need. Why do I need Jesus? Right? Some of the most Jesus-dependent people in this world are the people of very little. Nothing. If you've been to a third world country, you've seen some of the joy and contentment exuding from their pores. And they can, that is a, um, again, some of the people with the, the, the least material possessions are some of the most joyful, happy people I've ever met. There's a lesson to be learned there. And the reality is, is that the only thing that satisfies in this life is Jesus. We can try and quench our thirst with a little more, maybe it's a little more money, a little more things, a little more purchase over here, a little more fun, a little more pleasure, a little more self-indulgence. But the only thing that satisfies is Jesus Christ. So James says, the consequences of the trap of just a little more. He says it's misery, it's destruction. And don't do as they do, because that leads to spiritual death. And the final point I want us to take from our passage is this. We must do something with what we have. In Luke 16, Jesus tells of a parable of the man who was to steward the master's money. So the master gave this man money, of course, and he says, do something with this. And Jesus says, he says, he who is faithful in the small things will also be faithful in the big things. And the man with his master's money did not pass the test. And the small thing that Jesus refers to is money. And we may not feel like money is a big test, but it really is. I believe that money is intended part of it to test the status of our hearts. Scripture says you cannot serve both God and money simultaneously. So what's it going to do? I heard this phrase um, a couple of years ago, and um, if you want to see how a man treats others, watch how he treats his dog. You may have heard that phrase before. And as I was thinking this week, I was thinking about this. If you want to see what's in a man's heart, watch what he does with his money. And I believe there's something to that. That's not everything, but there's something to that. And the big things that I believe Jesus speaks to are eternal matters. So if we're not prepared to honor God with our finances and our money and our resources, I believe the question that Jesus asks is, what are we going to do with the hearts and souls of His people? The things that really matter. You know, a couple of the bottom line questions that I that I think that God would have for us this morning is this. Is there any greed residing in our hearts? Where have I concentrated my riches? I think it's a question we all have to ask ourselves. And you know, those are 
were questions we should be asking, but those answers are between you and the Lord. But um, I think we should be asking as a church, what do we do with the resources that we have? You know, I love that you know Dick decided to announce that we're going to spend 10% of our um, budget on missions. That's awesome. That's precisely what we should be doing for kingdom work. It's not about my salary. It's not about keeping the coffee hot and the lights on. It's about engaging our neighbor, loving on our neighbor, doing God's work inside and outside these walls. That's what it's all about. Those are things that really matter. So the resources that you have as an individual, the resources that we have at church, the question is, how are we going to use this for God's glory? You can either live in fear and hold on to them tightly and hoard or just save us a little bit more, or we can live in a position of trust and faith and say we are going to give away and be almost irresponsible with what we give away. And we're going to trust Jesus that he's going to take care of us as we give away what's actually his. So my hope is that we'd be as generous as possible. My prayer for us as individuals and as a church is that we would not fall into the trap again of just saying, oh, just a little more. But we would say that Jesus is enough and we're going to trust Him with all that we have. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. And uh, sometimes, God, Your Word has things to say that we need to hear. And Lord, as uncomfortable as Your Word is at times, we ask that you would just begin to speak truth to our hearts and our minds. And if there's places and areas where we're holding on to your resources, Lord, or maybe we're falling into the trap of a little more, or we're feeling greed pop up, God, that we would be stewards with your resources. That we would give away what we have. You've called us to give. That we would give away what we have for your purposes, God. Loosen our hearts, God. Soften our hearts, God, for what you want to say this morning. Again, thank you for this time. We look to you. We look to your word. For the only thing in this life that satisfies your son, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen.